Welcome to the PhD in Parenting Podcast. The podcast where we talk about being a parent in academia and an academic at home. We're your hosts. This is Judith. And I'm Erin. We're two mothers with a total of seven kids ages 1 to 17 and two PhDs in English. I'm an assistant professor of English and a program director. And I'm an acquisitions editor for an academic press. In the 10 years that we've known each other and seen our families grow, we've often found it difficult to relate to our families what it's like to be an academic and to relate to our colleagues what it's like to have kids. So during this pandemic, we decided to start this podcast to counter our own isolation and hopefully connect with other parents in academia. Thanks so much for being here and lending us your ears for about the next hour. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back, everyone. Erin, with everything that's been going on, it's been really good for me to skip a week with our recordings. But part of the motivation for me behind this podcast was that I wanted to be able to talk to you on a regular basis. And now it does even feel like uh, we're getting a little bit more out of touch. So I want to hear how things have been going for you. How are you doing? How's the family? Yeah, well, as noted previously, I feel like it's the Michigan weather report, but things have definitely broken here in Michigan as far as like seeing some nice spring weather. That's been really enjoyable just to be able to get outside, get some fresh air. And as you know, I love gardening. It's been really cool to kind of watch and see what plants are emerging. I told you I always like to give myself a little surprise, maybe put some bulbs in in the fall and then they emerge in the spring and it's kind of like, oh, I forgot I put that in there. So that's been really great. Been able to kind of go outside with the dog, walk around, go to different places and just feel like I'm able to get out of this one space, which is my house. In the meantime, though, we've had a lot of different events going on with the kids just between play practice and robotics. And as you know, my son is a junior in high school, so there's a lot of thought and planning and preparation there. Most people in the United States end up taking at least one of those standardized tests, but because of the pandemic, a lot of those tests last year were canceled. He was already scheduled to do the ACT test earlier this year, but it got canceled. And then they said, well, you can go down to Ohio to take it if you'd like. But I really didn't feel like doing an hour and a half drive to be at the test site at 8 a.m. So I don't even know when we'd have to leave. <laughs> not going to do that. And I know a lot of people have different opinions about whether standardized testing is a great measure. A lot of students have test anxiety. Some students feel that, you know, it might not measure for other sort of areas that they can be very good in, like arts or music or athletics. But there are some scholarship opportunities tied to the SAT. And I know his school has an all-day SAT test coming up, which I'm thankful for because there is some financial remuneration that can be kind of connected with that. So I want him to have those opportunities, but it's just like planning around the quarantine, the social distancing, all of that is a lot to think about and take in. But overall, you know, um, I can't believe it. I'm already in week 10 of my semester, just finishing up the 10th week of class. So that means I'm more, far more than halfway through. We only have about six weeks left. So that's kind of exciting. How about you and your family? Yeah, the same. The weather has been a real, has been a real positive for us too. Um, we've been going outside more. I've talked about how I don't particularly care for that all that much uh, in the past, but it's nice to have the backyard. The kids play back there. Um, my youngest daughter, who is now 16 months, brings me her shoes and her jacket every morning. She really wants to go outside. So that's been a lot of fun. Other than that, I don't know if you realize this or if you noticed this, but we recently hit the one year mark of that, of the pandemic. 
Um, it's been a little over a year since the first quarantine started, since the schools first shut down, at least here in our town. I had that furlough around that time where I was not working for a little while. And all of our kids have been in and out of school for the past year, but I know that at least some of our listeners have had their kids home with them for this entire year. So it's understandable that people are getting a little tired of it. And um, so there's been, I recently, especially around that one year mark, I saw a bunch of articles that were talking about pandemic fatigue, the pandemic wall that we're hitting. And I do think that that resonates probably with a lot of people. It does resonate with me, certainly. Uh, Just the idea of how do we do another day of this? How do we do another week of this? It's been getting so it's been harder. It's been getting harder and harder for me to keep moving, despite the fact that, you know, we're able to go outside more and whatnot. But the numbers are on the rise. And I think that's really important to keep an eye on. There was an article uh, in The Guardian just the other day that I saw that was talking about numbers in Michigan specifically. Sorry, listeners, to always talk about Michigan, but I feel like if The Guardian does it, that makes it, you know, I'm I'm justified in bringing it up. Um, the number, we had a very, very strong increase in, num- in both COVID cases and hospitalizations over the last two or three weeks. And The Guardian was basically asking if that was an indicator of what the U.S. had coming their way. Throughout the pandemic, I think, the U.S. has always been sort of like two or three weeks behind what's happening in Europe. And we do see a stark rise in numbers there as well. I just had an author from Paris tell me that Paris was going into a four-week shutdown. My folks in Germany and some of my friends are telling me pretty um, concerning things about the vaccine rollout in Germany and related the numbers. And I know that the springtime we talked about, we actually talked about this last year, that the springtime is always just such a time of like people emerging from their homes and getting together and things like that. So with all that being said, I think it is important for all of us to keep an eye on the number and to still kind of hang in there for a little bit longer before we can have more of that interaction with other people. I don't want to use the term going back to normal because I don't even know what, you know, the next few years are going to look like. But for now, I think we all have to hang in and keep moving as we were, keep trying to keep our distance as much as we can. And so we wanted to use today's episode to kind of talk a little bit about how we are doing that, what our sort of um, saving graces are, what we're doing to make sure that we're still um, doing the things that we need to do to keep us and our families safe. And hopefully that will motivate motivate you and me, Aaron, and also possibly our listeners um, to find some new ways to make the quarantine and this, the isolation work for just a little bit longer. So what I've seen around here is just kind of interesting that there seems to be a shift in the thinking like, well, it's all over now. We're great. Everything's moving forward. And I want to I, I do want to have a positive conversation. But I think that's a little troubling to me because I've heard a lot of verbiage and meetings and things like that because, quote, you know, the vaccine is out there. People really seem to be thinking like, okay, the end is in sight. And I just don't see that so far. The way the vaccination is rolling out here is really probably different than maybe what's happening in other countries. But I know for myself, at least, um, because of how I work, because of my age, and because of the fact that thankfully, I don't have any other underlying health risks right now, 
I'm low on that list. You know, I'm not going to be getting that vaccine for some time as far as I know. That's a little disconcerting. But then even my friends that have received it who are essential workers, you know, they were told, well, you still need to wear your mask. You still need to do social distancing. So even though they have the vaccine, it's not like we're like resetting to normal right away. And I feel like there's sort of a misconception right now. I think people are just so sick of doing this for a year that they're just kind of like giving up. I notice a lot of people out, a lot of people without the masks on. You had asked me a little while ago about when I do go out and about when I'm at like a play structure, do the kids wear masks. And I said, it's about 50-50. You see some people with them on, but you also see a lot of people without them on. And that always is a little disconcerting. So I feel like there is like maybe this wall that you said that people are like, I'm just kind of done with this. I'm not doing it anymore. I don't care. I'm going to go. I'm going to go out and get my whatever it is, my fast food, my mozzarella sticks or whatever people want to do outside. You know, I just think people are kind of over it. But the sad part is it's not over yet. The weird thing, too, with the vaccine is yesterday I was on social media and, you know, I'm on all these different waiting lists. And then someone posted something that was like, if you need a vaccine, come to Ford Field right now. Right now they have them. And I'm just like, is this even real? It was from the Detroit Free Press, which is like a pretty credible source. But I'm like, I first of all, I had class, but I'm like, am I going to just go drive there? It's pretty far away. That's one of our major athletic fields. What's going to happen? What's that going to look like? It was just odd. Um, and people were making a lot of comments on the Freep about, you know, well, this is how this vaccine is rolling out. It's pretty out of control. And the sad thing is they're going to have to throw away those vaccines if they don't use them, which I don't know the veracity of that claim either. But it's kind of all over the place. So again, like you were kind of saying, I do agree that we could maybe look to some things that have been working to us or for us, I should say, some possible inspiration. What have we been doing that's been working for you? Um, and maybe looking to other ideas to kind of just help us keep moving forward. So you had some ideas. What are some of the things that are really working for you so far? So I'm going to start with something silly, uh, just to, you know, keep it in a light spirit. The number one thing for me that I came up with is my coffee in the morning. And I know that that sounds ridiculous, but I think what's key to that, I know we're all, you know, we're all drinking coffee. Everybody needs, needs coffee to make it through the day, especially when we have small kids, maybe we don't sleep through the night. But I think what the main point is for me is that I have something anchored in the morning that I look forward to that's that I get right after getting up. So for somebody who doesn't like coffee, they might be able to put something else in there. I also used to, um, you know, this is something that a lot of people recommend that for me is just because of our situation with the little one and the sleeping situation isn't possible. But I used to like to get up before everybody else in the house and just kind of have a half an hour to myself. Eventually, I will want to have that again. But like I said, currently that's not uh, possible, but just, you know, knowing that like, if I do roll out of bed and I do make it to the kitchen, uh, that coffee is there waiting for me. That's, that's one thing that, that has worked well for me. You know, we're coffee lovers over here, but I have to tell you, I might need to lay off a little bit. This is so sad for me, but I've noticed late in the afternoon I'm having, um, or I have had, not every day, but like some heart palpitations. So that's not very good. That's a little disconcerting. I do think it is related to the amount of caffeine I consume. So I too live for that morning cup of joe. It's one of my favorite things, but I think I might need to break away from that. I've heard that women of my age do need to cut down sometimes on caffeine. So that's kind of a sad, sad moment for me. Um, I don't know if I've shared this yet or not, but something I just thought about for a long time. And so I finally did over this pandemic was um, one of those 
subscription cooking box deliveries. Um, so that was it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about that for a while only because this is a little side note. Since my husband does work for so many different clients, um, remodeling and repair, a couple of summers ago, one of his clients had subscribed to this very same box. Basically, what it is is they send you the ingredients to put together a meal. I thought this would be fun. You know, we we got his clients' box because they were out on vacation, and they give you however many recipes you want for the week, and they give you all the little ingredients. And what I do like about it is. I like to try different things, different spice blends, different um, foods from different ethnicities. But a lot of times if you're reading the recipe right, it's going to call for some ingredient that you might not have right at your disposal. Like you need to go out and buy this rice wine vinegar and you're going to buy this whole huge bottle only to use one time or whatever, whatever it happens to be, maybe fish sauce, although some people use that in their cooking quite a bit. Um, But I like this because it gives you all those little ingredients so you don't have to go and buy them for a one of use. And it's been kind of fun. I like it. It's something to look forward to. I think, you know, it's not going to be within the budget of folks who are working right now as teaching assistants. But for me, I already have to feed a family of six (laughs) every week. And so I equate this to about the same cost as maybe going out to eat for a couple of meals. It's actually even cheaper than that because even for a family of six, I think to go buy fast food, which we rarely do, it can be like $40 or something, which is just ridiculous. I rather just go buy my own ingredients. So it's been kind of fun, I think. A couple of times the kids have helped me. I even encouraged my husband and my son to make one of the meals, one of the easier ones, just to try it out, to show them that like cooking is not difficult. We're not talking about chef work here, people. We're not making any souffles. We're not baking any sourdough bread. Sorry to disappoint. But um, to show that like, look, son, cooking is following directions. It's pretty simple. We're chopping. We're not doing any fancy knife work as of yet. You can do this. And so I like that. Um, It's made some a couple of times a week, at least. I only get two meals a week. We come to the table to try it out. We kind of rate the new flavors. Uh, Sad note on that. My husband cannot really tolerate spicy food and we all like spicy food. So that's kind of a little disjunct. And then there's a whole conversation about coriander. I don't know if our listeners, I know some people have really, really heated uh, feedback on coriander, that particular spice. And we all like it, uh, but we call it here in the United States. It's also called cilantro. I love it. My son loves oh, it. My husband, it yeah, my husband doesn't like it at all. And he's just like, I do oh, not I can really, he's like, yeah, I guess there's a gene for that. Um, actually, so some people will interpret it as having like a soapy flavor and they just can't tolerate it. Oh, we love it. And my husband's just like, oh, it has that stuff in it, doesn't it? And I'm like, yeah, but it's good. Um, it just so takes everything <laughs> over. It doesn't taste soapy to me, but it's just like whenever I eat something that has it in it, I'm like, I feel like I can't taste anything else. But does the are the boxes big enough for your? Because you do have a big family to feed. Do they do they have like different sizing options, or is it how does that work? They do, and you can get it for two or four. I just order for four because, to be honest, the younger two really won't have anything to do with it. Um, And so even though the meal says it's for four, my husband's kind of a smaller eater, actually. He doesn't eat as much. So we usually end up having 
it usually stretches into maybe six meals for us because not everyone, I think maybe they're going for like the American size portion. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're like, we usually have six meals out of it and it can be something that's left over for lunch. Like I know one of the things I made the other day was like, I don't know, it was like an enchilada kind of tortilla pie, they called it. And it was really healthy. It had like squash and mushrooms. It did have the cilantro. (laughs) But anyway, um, it said it was supposed to be for four. And I know four of us ate it that night. And then I had it for lunch the next day and I think my son had it for dinner. So that was like actually six. So that's kind of fun. I don't know. It's not for everyone. I know that budget wise, it's not really going to make sense for people who are working on a different kind of budget. But for myself, because I'm working full time and my husband still is, I think it's comparable to maybe eating out once a week or something. I know a lot of people like to do that. So it's fun. It's neat. That's been something that I've been doing. Uh, What else has been working for you to kind of get you through the day, the grind? So what you said about the heart palpitation kind of resonated with me. I do think that my coffee habit is becoming an issue in the sense that it might be exacerbating my anxiety. But I have found that structure and routines really work for me to keep that anxiety in check more so than before. So I know that like for some people, it doesn't work at all and it just stresses them out more and um so I don't want to like make the sound as like as though like you know every mom should have clear structures and routines for her family or whatever. But I have found that like really knowing what happens when, both on a daily basis and on a weekly basis, um, is really helpful for me. So, you know, I I have like my same routine every morning, and it helps my kids sort of know what happens when, and then I do like my meal planning at the same time every week and my grocery shopping at the same time every week. And it helps when like any sort of events that the kids do have, like I was saying earlier, my daughter is starting to pick up soccer practice and whatnot. It helps to sort of know for me, okay, that's this day of the week. And here's how I'm like navigating my dinner challenges around that. I might even make like the same dinner that night because it, you know, puts a little bit more pressure on the evening. Um, I, I have a, you know, I know what I'm doing when I, usually I'm not by myself with, um, anybody between like dinner time and bedtime. And so when my husband takes her, like I have a plan for like what I'm doing with the other two and it's all, it's the same every week. And it just kind of really helps me, uh, feel in control, avoid like decision-making because part, what I think part of pandemic fatigue is also decision-making fatigue. And so I try to sort of like limit the amounts of the number of decisions I have to make on a given day or in a given week. Now, after a year, I will admit that some of this is starting to get a little stale. (laughs) And especially like my meal planning is like, it's like my, my son has, and I think that's part of his mechanism of like control has really limited the kind of food that he will eat at home. I think he eats really well at school, but then when he comes home, it's like, if it's not spaghetti or lentil stew or like these little pizzas that I make, he won't touch it. Then I have to have like chicken nuggets in the freezer. And so the, yes, the meal planning is getting a little bit stale. Like I feel like it's starting to get a little bit repetitive. So I have to kind of figure out ways to spice it up a little bit. I also think that like my obsession with structure and routines is starting to drive my husband crazy. Um, But he hasn't, uh, he hasn't said anything about it. So uh, anyway, that's that's something that helps me through all of this. Yeah, I think we're 
a little bit different in that area. And I think part of it is my uh, husband doesn't come home at the same time every night. So I can't really, it's really hard for me to like have a very strict schedule because he's kind of all over the place. And a lot of times, you know, he can come home at 7.30 or at 8.30 or 9.30 because like this week, I guess he's putting in some kind of privacy fence or something for someone. And since we said the weather was so nice, he's like, I've got to do it while it's nice. I've got to work as long as I can because it might rain tomorrow. So sometimes he's gone for 12 hours. And so that can be kind of a challenge for me to like really have something set in stone. And I admire your meal planning because I'm just like very like, what's what do I have right now? And <laughs> Let's see what I'm going to make. And so I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad because sometimes it can be like stressful not to have a plan. But then other times I'm just like, oh, oh, that's in there. I guess I'll just do that. Um, so I, I think am, that you know. I think that's something that you learn a little bit more over time. I feel like for me, it's just I am not a good enough cook to be able to just like look in the fridge and like whoop something up. And so that's, you know, maybe, you know, if I do it another five or 10 years, I'll be a little bit better about that. But yes, it, I do have sort of like, I do, I do stress out when I have to spend time in during the day thinking about what am I going to do for dinner. And I realize that it distracts me from work. And so I try to make sure to have that all set up um, just so that, you know, I don't have to spend that time during the day thinking about it. But I definitely admire uh, your ability to just kind of be able to look in the fridge and see what's there. Oh, it's nothing Sorry fancy, by the way. It's nothing fancy. I'm not talking about grandiose plans. And that's like kind of a running joke is like, what's for dinner? And I'm like, it's food on a plate. You can eat it. I mean, that's like literally <laughs> our menu item. It's food on a plate. Enjoy or don't. And one thing that I really have sort of stopped doing, which I did do in earlier years, was like I would be making like four separate meals because one person didn't eat any meat and one person liked uh, the spaghetti noodles, but not the spaghetti sauce and another person like this and that. So now, like I said, if I'm making this, you know, one meal and people don't like it, I'm like, you can help yourself to some cereal or some oatmeal or, you know, make yourself a sandwich. But I sort of have to shift away from making separate meals. Now it was different when I did have a tot like your daughter's age and I was kind of introducing solid foods. Yeah, that's different. And I could handle that, like chopping up. I had little baby food grinder to, you know, like grind up banana or maybe sweet potato or whatever. That is fine. But I just mean like I'm not a short order cook. I'm not taking your order like a waitress this afternoon. So if I made something and I do, I, you know, it's something basic. Like we found some kind of vegetarian chili recipe that everyone kind of likes. Weirdly enough, no meat. That's cool. I made it. It's done. It's in a pot. But if the uh, younger two aren't going to eat it, I just move on and say, okay, you don't like it. Um, have a piece of fruit, have a banana, whatever it happens to be. But I can't be responsible for making like three different meals. Um, and I am spontaneous. But at the same time, I don't want to think about that all day. I have other stuff to work on, you know. I have tried to be a little bit better about that. So my daughter, my younger daughter actually eats just about anything. And she has also started eating like a full size portion. So I'm having to make some adjustments to my meal planning just because I feel like when you're going from four to five, it's really sort of, uh, it really makes it more difficult in terms of like amounts because you can't really, you know, stretch whatever, like a pound of meat for five people, but two pounds is like way too much. So I, that's like something I'm navigating right now. But I feel like with my son, he used to be a really good eater. And like I said, I think so they have at his school, they have homemade lunches. And I 
haven't heard anything that he is picky there. And so I just kind of um, blame the pandemic and say, all right, you know, I'm going to let him get away with this for a little bit because it doesn't need to be another stressor. But we do have that conversation where it's like, this is the dinner that I made. I'm going to sit down and eat it. If you don't want to eat this, then you can go make yourself a sandwich, which he does, which is great. Or you can wait for me to help you until I'm done eating what I made. So I do try to have those conversations, but uh, I also try to cut him some slack just because I think it's a way for him to sort of get some control back. Um, right. So Absolutely. I no, I think that's really a useful point. And this was pre-pandemic, but I think a lot of children, we've talked about this, really like a sense of control, but also routine. And so if this is what I eat on Tuesday night with my mom, it's got to have to, it's it has to be that, right? It, it's not going to be something different. And my son had a lot, like he ate, he ate Cheerios for breakfast literally every day for like six years in a row. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and then one day he was like, yeah, I'm over the Cheerios. I'm just going to have toast. And now literally every day he has toast. He will not <laughs> deviate from that. He is 17. And I mean, whatever. That's cool. That's to each his own. He's definitely a lot more thoughtful and he'll try new things. Like he is one of the people that tries the wild recipes. We've had a few misses where he's just like, yeah, I did not. I made something that had curry and it had raisins and the rice and that was just Ooh. like a little bit too much for him. I thought it was awesome, but he was like, oh, this is just, yeah, this one wasn't for me, mom. I'm sorry. It's just a little too I'm weird. I also, <laughs> eat the, I also eat the same sandwich for lunch like every day. Yep. Um, and I don't have a problem with that either. He so does too. I, and yep. you know, <laughs> makes it easy sometimes. I get it. And there are certain things I could probably eat every day as well, but I get that too. And I think with all the sort of questions and flux, it makes sense that maybe our children are going to want to keep to some routines or patterns at home. Um, that makes sense to me, you know, and maybe they're not, I'm an adult, I'm middle-aged and I can handle this sort of spontaneity, but maybe right now they really want that sense of routine and a pattern, if you will, that they can come to sort of expect at home. That makes sense to me. I just recently got like a menu. So what I used to do with my meal planning was just to have seven meals for the week or six weeks and then six meals. And then, you know, I we usually get takeout once a week and just decide like every day what which of the six meals I was going to make. And so recently I got this like menu that I could stick on the fridge and I started planning the week a little bit more to think ahead like, okay, what do I have going on that day? What, you know, what takes how long to make? What can I make that day or whatever? But I realized that my daughter then is looking at the menu and it's really difficult for me then to switch it up. So like I, I lost that by like planning it out and writing it up. I kind of lost that flexibility a little bit because she doesn't have it. So she'll come home and I'll, you know, I, I'll switch something. And she's like, that's not what it says on the menu. Like, why? And I totally get that, too, because maybe she was like already thinking about the dinner or like picturing, you know, and now I'm like, well, no, you know, I know it says spaghetti there, but here's, you know. Curry. Right. <laughs> well, right. And they're like, wow, that blew my mind. Maybe I would have had, you know, more at lunchtime with a good school lunch. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're, you know, I think another thing that I've been just sort of, I don't know, being imaginative about is just trying to think forward to the future. And I don't mean like a future sans pandemic, but just like, what can I look forward to? Okay, it's springtime. We'll open up our little cabin. That just allows me a little bit of headspace to say, okay, well, at least I'll, I can maybe get out of my house for a little bit. I can think towards summer. I can think to being on the beach in the sun. And I know that's a little maybe corny, but I just have to think about something that's not just like the here and now and 
oh, I'm in my office that's in the middle of the living room and I'm looking at Zoom again. So I've been thinking forward to the future a little bit and maybe we'll make some spontaneous plans there. But are you finding yourself unwinding with any media lately? I know we always kind of chat about different things we're watching. Are you able to find any solace and any distractions that way? So I've noticed that, like, going back to some of my old favorite shows, like, I like, you know, I enjoy, like, family sitcoms and, like, corny stuff like that. But watching them now, I just find myself wondering why they're not wearing masks and, like, why there are family gatherings on the show and things like that. So I have a hard time with, like, movies that that are just, like, previous like set previously or set outside of the pandemic. So I've really kind of avoided that kind of thing. So I think I mentioned this before, but my husband has has recently been really into like nature shows or like shows about Alaska or like, you know, hunting videos, which I completely get if people are put off by that. I would have been too like two weeks ago, but he has this one show that he watches and the, the guy has an MFA and he's just a really good storyteller. And so it's really enjoyable um, to follow along with the stories and to just sort of, you know, see nature. Like there's just something really calming about it. And again, I don't have to go out myself. I can just watch it on the screen and to listen to this like really calm narrative and not worry about why people are not wearing masks or something like that, because that's something that we could all be doing right now. And it doesn't feel out of place. And I think, um, so, so that's one of the sh- one of the shows, and then in kind of in the same vein, I've also been enjoying um, stand up comedy, and that's always been a thing that I've enjoyed. But just like you were saying, having something to look forward to, I think, is so important. But then, just like laughter is so important too, right? Those are things that really um, that really kind of carry you through something like this. And so, I actually recently watched a comedy special that ju- that just got released on um, on Netflix. And so a lot of them, you're so you still see like the crowds in the, you know, in the like sitting together without masks and sometimes they wear masks. So you can kind of tell like how old the the bit is. But this one was actually filmed outside with people wearing masks. But there were like there were helicopters flying by all the time. So you could tell that it was making him like super anxious because he didn't want the helicopter to interrupting uh, interrupt him like in the middle of one of his particular bits or jokes. So he so but he like was really, you know, obviously they're you know, they're good about being funny spontaneously. So he was really able to like tie it into his whole show. So that was, that was fun. That was like a fun way to like, you know, acknowledge what's going on not pretend it's not there, but still just sort of get some laughs out of it. So that was great. Um, how about you? What, how's, what kind of media are you consuming these days? Well, I think we talked about this earlier and it makes sense, but maybe I am. I mean, I've always been a fan of science fiction. I grew up watching, Star Trek, the original series, and then that went to Star Trek, the next generation. And then later on, it was like Battlestar Galactica. And I sound like such a nerd. I get this. But I I always found all that very appealing. I think there's something about the futurity of it. Most of the time, especially in the Roddenberry shows, the Star Trek shows, they're looking to a future that is equitable, where like poverty on Earth has been erased and racism has been erased. And like they just don't have the social issues um, that we do now. And so I think there's a part of that message and theme that's always been super appealing to me. But I think now it's like I can, my brain can work out the fact that they're not wearing masks because it's a future 
they don't have COVID. They don't have pandemic right now. So that's okay, you know. And even I said the other one that I really recommend and think is really compelling is The Expanse just because it has so many strong female characters. It's a very diverse cast and it's just like really compelling. And it is sci-fi. There are some moments of like sort of um, humor, maybe a little bit bleak humor, but you know, it's, it's kind of interesting in that way. So I've really kind of delved deep into that genre. And I said, I've kind of gone back through the Star Trek catalog and I'm like three, three series in <laughs> so far. So we watched all of the enterprise. We had not watched that one before in its entirety. I found it a little boring to be honest. Um, so I watched it again with my son. We are today as our very last episode of Voyager, which is another one that I don't think I watched as much while it was on. And it's interesting to kind of go back and look at these and the CGI and things like that, but it's still fun. And you know, it's a future. So of course no one has, they don't have to worry about a pandemic. It's like 400 years from now or whatever the timeline is. Um, don't quote me on that. The Star Trek folks will get really mad. Um, so there's that. <laughs> We did watch all the Marvel movies and Marvel has a lot of like kind of fun new releases where they're kind of like taking maybe some of the secondary or background characters and like giving them their own sort of sitcom or show. That's been really fun to watch with the kids. And then one thing that I had here because I wrote, you know, this allows you to step out of the quote, the real world. Well, interestingly enough, I don't know how much or how familiar you were with um, MTV's The Real World. Uh, Again, going to date myself here, but I actually watched the very first season of The Real World when it came out on MTV. And I was like, what is this? This is crazy. Like, I can't believe I'm allowed to watch this because there was a very voyeuristic dimension to it, like where they showed people making out. And I think possibly even having sex and drinking and partying. And then there was these like very visceral conversations about race in America. And this was back in 92. And so what has happened is now um, one of the new streaming services has like 30 years later. So that does make me feel really old, but it's like 30 years later, (laughs) the cast is all back. They're reconnected in the very first loft. And it's just so interesting because one of the cast members at the time was really portrayed in this like kind of like angry black man, like really sort of pigeonholed to that. And like it was just interesting because at the time, all the white cast members were just so naive and kind of like really ignorant about what he was speaking to. Now, 30 years later, they're all like, yeah, you were right. Everything you were talking about, about racism in America and institutional racism, we sort of get, except for the one cast member who actually just still doesn't seem to get it. She's just still very clueless about her white privilege and what that means. So that is interesting because they are wearing masks and they all had to go through COVID <laughs> tests to participate in this. And then one of the folks, um, I won't give any spoilers in case anyone wants to watch this later on, but one of them can't participate because the one cast member did in fact test positive for COVID. So that cast member is like in a hotel room, it's live streaming. Um, it's <sighs> not quite as exciting as it would be if it were like a regular season. Cause it's like mostly them kind of sitting around rehashing like what happened and where those conversations conversations went. But I mean, at the time, remember, this was like a pretty big deal. I will say this. A lot of people say um, MTV's The Real World was the very first reality TV show. It was not. PBS had a reality TV series some decades before uh, 
a lot of people make that mistake. Like it was the very first one. It was the very first one where we saw a group of diverse cast members living in one house, but there had been reality TV before that on PBS. So just a good side note there for you folks. Was this before or after Big Brother? Because I know we had Big Brother in Europe and I thought, and I think that I, the Big Brother was on German television, I think maybe before the real world. At least I became aware of that before the real world, but I don't know. um, That might be just... So this was 92. So I think it was kind of the first one in that genre, if you will, of like Mm -hmm. bringing together the young people. And they say it on the show that they were the very first one. And it was kind of funny because they're like, yeah, you know, and look at everything that happened after. I don't know how many other seasons of the real world there were. I watched quite a few of them, sad to say. And I always like wanted (laughs) to be in the real world. I was like, oh, that'd be so cool. Oh, yeah. I thought it'd be great. I mean, they always put them in these like very interesting, like they're in Seattle and San Francisco and Miami Beach, like Las Vegas, always really cool. One year they had a like a house in Paris. That was really cool. Clearly I watched way too much of this. Um, but it was, you know, it's interesting, I think, from probably a sociological point of view that that's one of the reasons you'd see how gender played into it. One of the characters on this very first season was gay. And I really hadn't known any gay people at that time that were out when I was young in high school. You know, certainly I went to high school with people that are gay, but I just, you know, they weren't out and vocal about it. So to me, that was like interesting as well. It just was such a diverse cast. So anyway, that's a long sort of rant on that. But I started watching that just to see. Um, It's not quite as fun as it was, I think, in the past, because some of the stakes are like not the same. Like they were all single. You kind of wondered if anyone was going to sort of like, you know, get together, whatever. Now, most of them are married, older, established. It's not quite the same shenanigans, but lots of really interesting conversations, like reflecting on past representations of of race, of gender, and all of that, but now kind of fast forwarded 30 years. And like, what do we think now? Wow, we were so young and so naive. So that was kind of, that's been interesting. Um, So beyond like TV and film and um, comedy, how else have you been unwinding? What are some fun things that you've been able to do maybe in the pandemic that you wouldn't have been before? Or maybe there are things that you've carried over that you always do that are just working now? Oh, there's a that's a dense question. There's some different things that come to mind that I different ways that I could answer this question. I like I said before, I'm not super fascinated. Like I don't like to spend a whole ton of time in my day or my week in front of the television. So I'll do some of that. But I have had this puzzle in the background and I know that we've like mentioned it a couple times. I don't know to what extent I've talked about it here. Um, And I know that a lot of people... So when the pandemic first started out, I saw all these people um, posting about their puzzles on social media. And I was like, I don't know how you make time for that. And my kids would just interfere with that. But I did have this 18,000 piece puzzle up my sleeve that my husband has gotten me, had gotten me a few years ago when we were still living in a two bedroom apartment. And the format is something completely crazy. It's like a hundred and... 15 inches by like 70 or something like that. So it's huge. Uh, And so there just was never real space for it anywhere. And then at some point, not too long ago, one of our, one of my husband's friends cleaned out his basement and had this like ping pong table that he gave to us. And so we put the ping pong table in, well, we have a walkout basement slash sunroom. And so the ping pong table went in there, but then, and we played a couple of times, but then it was basically too cold in there in the winter to be in there for the kids to play. 
And so I used a ping pong table to start this puzzle. And that's been like a real, it's just a really great way to keep my hands busy. And what I also like about it is just that you start with this like pile of a mess. And in the end, you have something that's like completely organized and clean, which, which again, I think is like anxiety management for me. But the, it's just every, like the whole rest of the house is just, it often feels like an uncontrollable mess because there's so many kids running around and so much stuff. And so I have this like space in the basement where I can sort of create order out of a mess um, (laughs) and not have anybody like pick up a piece right away. So I've been able to keep that sort of separate. The kids are respectful of it. And I spent some evenings down there working on that. I've got it's a, it's an 18,000 piece puzzle. It's a, a bookshelf. It breaks into four sections. So it's really more like four 4,500 piece puzzles. Um, but, and I've done two of the sections and now I'm like, I'm having to figure out like what to do with the finished sections because basically the ping pong table is all covered. So I have to figure out where to park the finished section so that I can get to section three. But that's been like really great, really entertaining, really fun. I see you just like... <laughs> It's so big. It already covers a a ping pong table. (laughs) Yeah, half of it covers about two thirds of the of the ping pong table. So, so that's huge. That's so big. Wow. Yeah, and then um, one um, one other or like things that were working a little bit more for me earlier in the pandemic was. journaling. I did a lot of journaling when I first, um, when we first stayed home with the kids. That's always something that I try to do a lot because it helps me work through some things. Uh, I haven't done it as much recently, but um, it's, that was really something that worked for me well at the beginning of the pandemic. And then that's usually something that I put into that like half hour of waking up before everybody else wakes up. But like I said, I don't have that right now. Uh, I have spent a little more time sort of trying to get out of my own head and out of my own, like the focus on myself and just sort of thinking about the things that are going well and that I do have. And so I don't have like a super established gratitude practice, but I do feel that like looking at what I have now and where I could be if we hadn't done the move a couple years ago and things like that has really sort of helped, um, with a little bit of positivity. I know that sounds cheesy and might not work for everybody, but those are some things that, that have worked for me. Well, and I love when you post the images around your house, you are in just like a really beautiful location. And I think that's a really nice space that will be so meaningful for your children as they grow up. So I think that is really a great thing to focus in on. And um, I can definitely relate to that need for kind of taking stock and like, this is what's good. This is what's good. This might bother me, but you know what? There's so much that's positive in my life. I do need to reflect on that a bit more. I've never been a puzzler, so it leaves me feeling puzzled. Um, But I liked when you were explaining it. It makes sense, right? That you're bringing order to chaos. And I think that's another, when we're thinking about control and we're thinking about this, how this pandemic has just kind of blown up so many pieces of our lives in different ways where we would have that structure and that control, maybe that makes sense to like really bring this into a hands-on moment. Um, And so I can relate to that. I mean, some things I used to do like that, like I like making little things out of clay. 
I really actually, I've never been really into Legos as a child, but I do like when my kids buy those kits because I do. It's like fun to put them together and see the finished result. Like, oh, I just made this really cool Star Trek image or whatever. So I I can relate to that. And And I I think, you know, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, art comes in that way, right? Like when you're saying, um, when you're saying you like to work with clay, I know that like people are really getting into sewing and stitching and all of those things, but those require a little more creativity for, so for somebody like me, who is not like the most creative person on the planet, I still sort of get to work with my hands on something and I get to see a finished result, but I don't have to design it. I don't have to sort of like come up with the creative part of it. So I think that's a that's a great way for me to maneuver around sort of the, you know, I think art and creativity are really important. Um, but it's just sort of not where my heart and my head are at. But this is a, a this is like a great alternative for me. So yeah, I used to like doing those um, embroidery. And I noticed like a lot of these things that made me kind of nerdy when I was a kid, like I like to embroider, um, they're making a comeback. <laughs> So I've seen a lot of our friends even doing kind of like hipster embroidery. And I'm like, oh, that's so fun. Like I used to do embroidery. That's why I always wonder, like, why was I not cool? Um, I had like a whole (laughs) embroidery era in high school where I was like embroidering vests with like floral designs and I don't know, but it was fun. You know, again, it's like kind of therapeutic catharsis to kind of use your hands, make something out of nothing. So that's always really fun. And I wish I would have taken up sewing when I had the chance. Uh, but alas, it's never too late. So maybe I'll do that <laughs> later on. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we still and I, have a little bit of pandemic to go. So. Exactly. You, go. you know, I, I have a sewing machine that I found at one of our, um, I don't know, we, we, they're always like, people always leave sewing machines behind when they move. So I don't even know if it's from my old, old house or whatever, but my mom sews, so I, I should take that up. Um, so I mentioned that I like doing walks and we've tried to go to different parks. That was something we kind of started as soon as it got a little warmer last year, just like try to go to like every single park in my city and then go to all the different parks and other cities that have walkable trails. That's kind of nice. I actually sort of tried to walk outside of my comfort zone. And I did a couple of online events this last week, which I was like really proud of myself because I am one of those people that signs up for things in my mind thinking that sounds great. But then the day arrives and I'm like, I really don't want to do this. Um, I've read that that's like an indication or can be kind of related to social anxiety. But it was weird because they're online events and I'm still just like, oh. But um, I did one which was kind of neat. It was a cooking class and it was for this organization called FAR, F-A-R, and that's here in, in the Metro Detroit area. And it's an organization, from what I gather, that helps kind of make moments and make learning education and opportunities for people who have Down syndrome. And so this was a really neat class because um, the woman teaching it, her daughter was there who does have Down syndrome. And it was a Thai cooking class. And so to me, that was really cool and neat. We got to pick up the fresh ingredients from the organization, which is just a few miles away. I picked them up like on Thursday and then Friday night was the cooking class. That was pretty cool because I saw a few people I knew via the Zoom, like people outside of work, just like people I've known from like high school or college. And I was like, oh, look, they're cooking. So and it was really delicious too, by the way. It was pad thai. I didn't put any meat in it. It was very, very tasty. And then I also, the same night had, uh, the school had online bingo. (laughs) 
And I had to give props to the principal for running this. He was like the MC. It was just fun. It was a little different than doing it in person, but there was still that competitive streak that comes out in all of us. And so we did the online bingo. They sent home the little bingo sheets, little cards, and then they called the numbers. And we had a couple winners. And in the meantime, they did some little raffles and things like that. So I was proud that I actually signed up for those things and then did them. I know that that can sometimes be hard, though, after a week of Zoom <sighs> to then yeah. go to a social event that's on Zoom. But I think I just had to shift my mind a little bit and be like, no, you're doing this for fun. This is what you can do right now. So just go with it. And I was glad I did. So I wanted to know to kind of maybe finish up today, um, just thinking about do you have any good takeaways from the parenting point of view? I mean, have we learned anything? It's been difficult, you know, and our kids are, we were talking about this little um, off session or off camera or off recording, but just like, it's a hard time for our, our children. You know, we speak so much about how we're stressing out and our mental health, but you know, there's a lot of chaos and our kids are smart kids. They hear these conversations and it's been a challenging year. Do you, have you been able to come up with anything to kind of like get through the maternal side of things or any good takeaways that have helped you? Yeah, I think you're right about that. The It's been challenging for me in a lot of ways. It's sort of, I, you know, I've talked about how I don't multitask well. And so just sort of juggling work and the kids at home has been a challenge dealing with some of the, you know, trying to keep an eye on what kinds of challenges our kids are facing, how they're handling them, what their coping mechanism seems to be, and to just sort of accommodate those. Those are things that I find emotionally and mentally challenging. And so every once in a while, I will get really bogged down in that and just get into this mode of like, it's, I'm never, you know, like the, Maybe you remember that from when you had small kids, like, am I ever going to sleep through the night again? Am I ever going to, you know, do, am I ever going to be able to just go to the coffee, you know, coffee store by myself again and just whatever, all of those things when am I, you know, and so, and I just remembered this from when my daughter was little and I've mentioned before, I had some, you know, I had some issues with depression at the time and I just really got sucked into these ideas of like, I will never be able to do X, Y, and Z again, you know, by it was, you know, it was hard to like focus on things when you're depressed. Those are kinds of, those are issues. And so once I sort of worked my way out of that, I really, this, this idea of like, everything is just a phase really was like my main takeaway from being a new mom. And like the one thing that maybe like I've taken into like my later years of motherhood is just this like everything is just a phase both in positive and negative terms right so it but it, it's a thing where like you can use that almost as a mantra as a mantra to get yourself through some difficult times but it so like you know it's going to change eventually it's going to change eventually but at the same time everything is just a phase also means that like especially now i'm you know pretty sure that this is my last one not to get too personal on here but like that also means that I'm thinking about, okay, like once she's grown out of this phase, I won't ever, you know, get to do that again. So that has really helped me sort of sit in the moment and be with the moment and just say, 
you know, this is what I'm doing right now. This is what my place is right now, what my job is right now. And my career can come again later. And I think that that's, that's really difficult for me sometimes to say, okay, it's okay to take a break with my career because I don't think that that's what we're taught to think, right? Like we, and I don't know that the world necessarily works that way. Um, so I don't know how much that's going to, that attitude is going to help me later down the road when the kids are a little bit bigger. But, um, you know, there's just this idea that like your career has to be full force at all times. And if you don't progress at some point, then, you know, you're never going to progress again or something like that. And I've just really settled into this idea of like, right now my kids are small, they're home this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm trying to focus on. Some days that's really hard. Some days it's really disappointing for me. But at the same time, I also know that one day that, that that's going to be gone and they'll all be in school and I won't have that special time with them anymore. And so it's not a, it's not super helpful advice. I know that like if you're in the thick of it and somebody else tries to throw that at you, it's really the opposite of helpful. But it has sort of been a really work working approach for me. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. And I have even more hindsight, if you will, that it doesn't seem that long ago to me that my son was an infant and he was my first child and just like the struggle of everything. Right. And he it was really hard because that's your first baby. I remember it just seemed like I was nursing him all the time. I don't know if I was doing it wrong, but it just seemed like I never had any sleep. I was always tired he also had some sensory issues. So then when he got to solid foods, it was like, uh, not to be crass, but we like had vomit every day. That was a bummer. And now he's 17, you know, and it doesn't seem that long ago. I mean, that was 17 years ago. That is like insane to me sometimes. And it doesn't help. I don't like when people kind of try to be like, well, don't worry, it goes by so fast. That is, that can be kind of frustrating, I guess. But from my point of view, it really does. And then you move on to a different set of challenges. So maybe yeah. something that's alleviated, like your kids are in school and you have that time back to yourself, but then they're coming home with like, mom, there's a social issue at school or mom, you know, this person called me, uh, sorry, I hate this term, but like a lib T-A-R-D because I don't like this pre president right now or whatever. So then you move to a different set of issues and challenges that are less maybe about ourselves and like what we need and more about like, okay, now my child is in a different stage and place and they're navigating out in the real world. And that can be kind of a whole different set of issues and things like that. So I think it's just changing focus and changing the way we sort of understand our role as parent and as academic. I think that can be something that just we have to keep in mind, but I do agree. Like, you know, it is a phase. They do go through it and then it'll be something new and something different. And that's how life is, right? I mean, not to get all Zen, but it's, it's like a series of changes and waves and flows and, you know, the tide comes in, it goes out. And I think knowing that can be maybe at least a little bit helpful to think like, okay, this is just now, this is just right now. It's going to be different. So to kind of like, uh, maybe rein things in just a bit. I wondered if we want to speak to a little bit, or at least I can, about how this plays out in the professional realm. And I feel like I don't want to keep harping on this, but I still feel like the balance is a struggle. Um, maybe I'd be better off having a set schedule, but I just feel like because I teach online asynchronously, I'm online seven days a week all the time. Haven't I said this enough? I wrote to you. Probably. I've said this a lot. Um, you know, I think it's but it's something that I think we need to remind organizational leadership of that we're all so focused in on our jobs, I think, because that is something that anchors us to some sense of 
quote unquote normal, right? If I'm just doing my job, I know how to do that. There's a little bit of sense of control. And so I feel like I'm online all the time. I still feel like there is a challenge with setting those boundaries. So that's just something I wanted to acknowledge because I know I'm not the only person that feels like that right now. Yeah, that's I I completely agree with that. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that too. I think um you know, in terms of moving forward, that it was the, I think you know, the point of this was to have a positive conversation and to think to talk about things that are working and that are keeping us moving, but none of that is to say that, you know, it's not still difficult and challenging every day. And I think some of those things we have to switch up too. you know, I think this was part of the reason that I wanted to have this conversation or that I thought this would be a good idea for having a conversation like this, you know, one being that you and I are so different. So a lot of the things are different and and we work differently. And so we have very different ideas about what carries us through. And at the same time, sort of this other thing that I mentioned about my in relation to my meal planning, which is just that it does start to get stale. And sometimes you do have to sort of come up with some other things to spice it up a little bit, some other things that might work. And so I think it's, you know, it's important to acknowledge it is still challenging. Um, and what are some things that are other sort of like safe um, places, safe things to do that other people are doing um, that that we can sort of apply or bring into our own lives to make it through these last or this, this next um, stretch in, in the pandemic. So I think this has been a really great um, conversation. Uh, I th- and I would love to hear what has been working for everybody else. So listeners, please feel free to let us know. And, you know, you can find us on Instagram. There'll be a story and a post. And maybe I'll, you know, do a little poll in the stories to hear from you. What are some things that have carried you through the pandemic? What's working for you? What are some things that maybe you plan on trying out over the next few months? If you don't, if you're not on Instagram or you don't want to engage with us there, you can also send us an email. We're at phdinparentingpodcast at gmail.com. And we love to hear from you there as well. I agree. It would be great to hear about some other ideas to move forward as we continue to hunker down. I know some of our friends are in Australia and New Zealand, and I know things are looking a lot different there, but maybe you can help us with some new ideas and some fresh perspective. So thanks so much for all our listeners. We look forward to carrying on with this conversation next time.